Today on the show, we're talking about personal finance myths. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and today I'm joined with my co-host Trevor, and we're talking about personal finance myths, and we're hopefully going to bust a bunch of the ones that may be lingering in your head, clinging on to, thinking that they are true. And you know, the thing with personal finance myths, or myths of any kind, if you believe them to be true, then they will in fact be true. Like They're self-fulfilling. So if you really believe, and I, this is my favorite one, that you're a victim of any kind, and I'll preface that by saying there is true victims out there, but quite often we will, we will play the victim card and, and believe in a myth that, you know, we've been, this is just the hand life has dealt us, we're forced to play it, when really it's, you're limiting yourself. So quite often myths, and in particular financial myths, are self-fulfilling if you truly believe they're true. And the thing with myths too, I mean, we can't forget that they are perpetuated by society as well. So whether it's something your parent have has always said or some a member of society, whether it's a friend or a coworker, the amount of times we hear this, it if we hear it over and over again throughout the years, it will become true in our minds because we won't question it. And myths are generally play on people's fears, right? So if... If there's a myth, and I don't want to give any way we're going to talk about them in the show, but if, I mean, if if you believe that you're you're not good with numbers, then you in fact will not be good with numbers. Yeah, no, it, that's a fabulous point. Um, and and before we get, I guess, into this, I, I am going to kind of sidetrack for tra- sidetrack us for a second to bring up an incredible listener email that we received um, last week, um, based around last week's episode for mentoring. And if you didn't listen to it, you can always go back and listen to that. But a longtime listener, um, his name is Ron. He sent us an email with actually mentorship tips for Trevor, and 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 things that Trevor can uh, kind of incorporate into his own life. So this is somebody who is retired, and I think he's recently retired, and he is offering, uh, so he's he's offered to be this, you know, I'm guessing this one-time mentor. He's, he's, he, put, he put up some very thought-provoking ideas and, and things I've heard other people maybe say, but coming from this listener, I've had a lot of interaction with Ron, and we actually had him on the show once, so... I feel that me and Ron are, are in a similar headspace. So coming from him, it means even a little bit more than just the other people in my life. So I want to thank Ron for reaching out and offering this. And that's what we wanted to do on the podcast. But there's five really solid points. So we'll kind of just summarize them and, and go through them. But the first one is it's phenomenal. So it kind of talks to how you can transition out of the workplace. And it speaks from a place of obviously experience because Ron is is retired, but um, we, we, I'm sure Trevor thinks the same thing, but it's easy to kind of get, get lost in the idea that, yes, I'm retired. I'm, I don't have to work anymore. And, and kind of that utopian, but, but Ron, this point really brings forth the idea that, um, he says come Monday morning when you're no longer working, it can be a real shock to your system. So you kind of suggest here that if you, if you try gradually stepping away from your work, so go down to, for four months, go down to, um, slowly take away at times that you work, uh, during the week. And then, and while you're doing that, while you're taking the time away from working, you'll also have time then to incorporate other activities and things that you will hopefully f- more fully incorporate when you do um, fully transition away from your work. 
So if you think of a really good mentor, they listen to the person they're mentoring. And I got to think Ron has really listened to what I've been sort of, where my tone has been. And I I must have this desperate sound of, I can't wait till I'm done working. (laughs) And it's almost like he's peeking in my brain and saying, you're going to be a little shocked, you know, that Monday morning, you don't have to go to work. So it's almost... So I get the feeling Ron has really been listening. I guess that's what you you do with the podcast. You listen, but he he's getting a feeling that that I have this you know dream of waking up Monday morning and not having to go to work and it just being glorious. And I really appreciate that he's saying it's 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 going to be a shock to the system. So since I've read this email, I've I was all 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 on and doing this full stop cold turkey. I'm done working, but he's really building a case for me to transition out. And I, I'm I'm leaning that way. I've heard it from other people, but again, coming from Ron, who I I, I tend to think we we think and see the world in a similar way. Uh, I'm really starting to rethink this. So again, thank you, Ron, for point number one. I like this too because it it makes it, it kind of brings that that semi-retirement. Um, it can get you excited. It gets you maybe excited, but going to work when you're in that those last few years. So I really like that point. Well, and he's kind of sold it as a double-edged sword, right? He's saying that if you transition out of work, you will be not, you won't be shocking your system and you will, you'll be freeing up time. And this is something I didn't really see. I'll be freeing up time to start to transition and pursue interests outside of work. So I think that is a, you know, and I kind of relate it to this, just when you send your your child off to um, post-secondary education, like college or university, and the first year they live in a residence rather than, than an apartment, that's that's them sort of transitioning into taking on more responsibility. So this is me tr- transitioning out of responsibility, but slowly. So I really, point number one has really resonated with me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even approaching retirement, but I'm just like, wow, that that's powerful. Um, so point number two of five that he's kind of listed here for as kind of a mentorship for Trevor is... Um, engage with other people and particularly people of various ages and mostly younger as it allow you to think about things in new ways. So this point seems kind of obvious when you first read it, but the the longer you kind of chew on it, the more it resonates. And you're like, yeah, that that's so true. So my my plan in retirement was just to have some alone time and just just to just to not be, you know, have demands placed on me. You know, I, I just want just I wanted it to be just about me when I retire at, at the start, right? So, <laughs> don't talk to me. So this, don't come near me. So this this kind of you know he, he's again got my the wheels turning in my head, thinking maybe that's not a great idea because again I I truly believe me and Ron are of a similar mind. So and, and then I find it interesting. That he says surround yourself with younger people, and I, I was going to go and I'm going to be retiring at a fairly young age as retirement goes in our society. And I thought I'd be surrounding myself with people who retire at the traditional retirement age. So I, I pictured me being surrounded by older people, older than me. And and he's saying, you know, don't do that. Put yourself around younger people. So I, I'm still trying to figure that one out, but that that's interesting. Again, it sounds like solid advice. The third point is don't rely on your wife or family to entertain you. That, that gets real old real quick for everybody involved <laughs> i love this one me too i mean me too this, this is the one good mature so i 
I okay again. I I one of the reasons I want to try it early is to spend more time with my kids. Right, they they live three hours away. I thought, you know, I'm retired. I could visit them more often, and and I guess in a way they were going to be something that occupies my time. But that that probably is. I'm probably going to do that. But that's probably just a short term solution to consuming my time in retirement. So again, that's uh, he he puts it pretty bluntly. So I I. <laughs> That that's interesting, and um, I I know people that are retired in the you know it's a husband and wife, and they do pr- pursue separate interests as well as interests together. So I, I've that one I've kind of had locked locked away as as I, I wasn't going to do that one, but still good advice. And it, it does speak volumes to how heavily it's it could be easy to rely on external. Um, people external things for for happiness when it, instead of looking within it and and I think this point kind of echoes that so the fourth is the fourth point is surrounded around um knowing how much you have to offer and I'm not and maybe this is this point was kind of illuminating Trevor but Ron made a great point that um in your role having worked for so long with within corporate finance that you have a lot of uh, like business financial um and analysis and and just skills that you can offer to other people so he, he mentions kind of working using that skill set and, and and kind of aiding another uh, whether it's a startup business or or using that in some kind of valuable way my whole thing about retiring is to not be needed in any way, shape, or form, right? That that's kind of my 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 exit strategy is is I'm tired of being needed and wanted and having to be somewhere. But Ron is, and when I read this, he's suggesting that that is a need that needs to be fulfilled ongoing. And and so right now, I I read that and say, well, the last thing I want is to to appear valuable to anybody. I just want time to just you know do nothing. And he. So what I'm reading is is that will get old quickly too, and, and your your value in society, I guess you, you're going to you still want to contribute is how I'm reading. That's the advice Ron's offering is you're going to still want to contribute to society. Of course, up front, I'm thinking I, I don't want to make a contribution to anything. I just want to just you know sit on the beach and read a book. But apparently, that that need to contribute is going to be there and I'm not going to be able to extinguish it. So I am going to take that to heart. And the final of five points that Ron has provided is mentorship um, advice to Trevor is to be active and outdoors every day, rain or shine, maintain your health. And Trevor, you, you do uh, take on a lot of um, outdoor and, and, and active activities as it is, but does this point kind of resonate any further than it, than you already assumed yourself? Well, I make a living sitting at a desk all day long. So I go out of my way to get exercise on a regular basis. But I could see where, and I do that because I'm sitting all day. So I I could imagine in retirement, if I don't picture myself sitting for eight hours, I won't feel this need to go get deliberate exercise. So I I think this is um, insightful information in that, you know, I'm not going to see myself sitting all day, so I, I won't subconsciously feel the need to go pursue exercise but I, I I need to change that focus so so I do so that again five solid points from Ron and thank you Ron I, I really appreciate reaching reaching out to me yeah I know absolutely like all things I hadn't have thought of myself so so we so we so we mentioned this example of of someone offering mentoring 
no matter what stage of life you're in, you can learn something from somebody. So I'm super open-minded. Ron has brought new ideas into my head. So like, again, I said the last episode, everybody should be willing to mentor somebody and willing to be mentored. That is how we are going to move forward as a society in, in personal finance, but in all aspects of life. Oh, definitely. I, I cannot agree more. So let's jump into today's show. We're talking about personal finance myths. And as we lead into this topic, I, I think we can all agree that it's, we, I don't want to say we like to make excuses, but sometimes it's easier to, when things are going right inside, when we're, when we're kind of left helpless, that sometimes it's easier to blame and point to external things around us instead of looking inward. Yeah, it, it's it is true, but I, I th- just based on on myths, I, I think you can a lot of times believing in a myth is the is taking the easy way out of a problem. You know that that's your I, you that that's your I can't because excuse and, and myths can be your undoing. And it, what's it would be really sad is when you. You you have twenty years of life behind you, and you realize the myth wasn't true. And, and here's a myth that a lot of people believe. And we were just talking about exercise. So a lot of people really believe that exercise and weight loss are highly correlated, and they 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 are so not correlated. And, and so I know that, I know this is personal finance. I can just touch on this is is a myth. I know a lot of people believe they think they can out exercise a bad diet. And I'm going to say the reason the reason people would choose that is because the discipline required to go exercise is is less than the discipline required to eat a a good diet. And uh, quite often, people will believe in a myth, and it, it, the underlying cause of the believing the myth is a a lack of self discipline. And so I think if you believe in a myth. Look at, at at that your your self discipline in that aspect of your life, and just see if it's strong or weak. And that could be a, a something to work on to overcome the myth is is building a discipline. Ooh, that's that's a good at leading example. So I guess on that note, with with that kind of that that mentality out there, let's jump into our list. We have actually have sixteen myths for you, so we have a lot of myths um, that we kind of want to burst for you and. Uh, and, and, and these might want be ones you've heard, ones that you maybe even said yourself, or, or ones that you honestly believe to be true, but that they don't have to be. They don't have to be true. So Trevor, let's just jump in with number one. So the first, first personal finance myth that we have for you today is personal finance is too hard. And this, again, if you believe it to be hard, it will be. And it, we've done one on budgeting. If you create... A, requ- a personal finance requirement that's really complicated, like you have a budget that has 75 budget categories, you know what? It's going to be really, really hard <laughs> and a lot of work. But personal finance, I've said this before, personal finance is 10% math, 90% behavior. So it, it is it, personal, it, there's zero math skills. So when someone says personal finance is hard, you know, I'm going to say taxes are hard. But you have to do that. The only reason people do taxes, which are very, I, I'm going to say fairly complicated, they do taxes 
because it's the law. I mean, you, you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. Personal finance, it, it's unfortunate, but it's optional. You you can you can uh, pursue this or not, but I, I say, just say it, it comes hard to you. So what? You have to do it. If you want to succeed or achieve anything financially, personal finance is not an option. So I'm going to say, it's not a myth. Personal finance can be hard to certain people. Some people, uh, I'm going to say somewhat of an artistic mindset. Maybe they just can't, you know, analytically analyze numbers. It doesn't matter if it's hard. It, you have to do it. So I'm going to say this, this myth could be true for people. Personal finance could come hard to some people. And it could come hard in two forms. It, the analytical side could come hard or the behavioral side could come hard. Either way, I believe this myth to be true. It's this is this myth is true, but it doesn't matter. You still have to do it. And I guess I do want to add on as well that there are a lot of the most important things that we do embark on in life are really hard, but anything worth having, anything anything that we should should anything good, anything like that is always not always, but might always come challenging to us, might, but might be hard to achieve. Um, and, and then we also do say at the same time that um, change and, 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 and maybe changing how, how well uh, personal finance kind of jives with you or how well um, personal finance, whatever that it kind of is incorporated into your life. Change can come from a place of discomfort. So it's, it's, it's not going if, if, if like you're, if, like you just said, Trevor, if, if that, if the analytical side to it or whatever it is about personal finance that feels challenging, feels too hard to, to take on being able to kind of go up, go up against personal finance and be able to understand it and, and, and make whatever personal finance means to you work. That really is a true measure of strength and resiliency, in my opinion. Well, and also just say your, your financial life is a dumpster fire. Just say it, it is, it is a huge train wreck. And knowing that personal finance is 10% math, 90% behavior. If you're going to make any improvement in your personal finance life, if it's not hard, then you're probably not making improvements fast enough or far enough. Ooh, so I like your that. Point, I like that. So to your point, if you're going to make change and significant change, it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard. So I think this myth is true given the state of your personal finance life. So again, if it's a train wreck, dumpster fire, couldn't be worse, bill collectors are knocking on the door, then you know, stepping into the world of personal finance, it will be hard. But if you are just naturally a very cautious person, you, you've all your whole life, you've always spent less than you've earned. And you've you've never done anything risky, and you say, you know what, I should take a look at my personal finances and sort of get in, you know more involved in them. It's probably going to be a pretty subtle change in your life. You're not going it, to. It'll just become record keeping that you're doing that you weren't doing before. So, personal finance, yeah, it's probably going to be hard if you've never done it. But I, but I, the word too too hard. That that is kind of the emphasis at this point that dealing with your personal finances being more involved with them it is never impossible there's that that kind of creates that limiting belief that i am not it's just something i can't do it's too hard so okay so you put the myth that way then that myth is not true right is it again could be because i consider it not optional so 
But so, but per, I am, I am glad, finance. I am glad that you, that you emphasize the difference though, between, um, it, it coming e- easier to others and, and, and more difficult to, to others in the same breath, because yes, that point that you did make is true. I, I agree with that. So the second myth, so that was the first personal finance is too hard emphasis on the two. Number two, the second personal finance myth we are here to bust is personal finance is easy. You just don't buy anything or spend money on this or that, and I'm all good to go. So if you could summer, summarize personal finance in, in three sort of p- bullet points, spend less than you earn. Actually, it's two bullet points. Spend less than you earn and invest the difference. Personal finance can be that simple, but if so I'm going to say this myth is true. If you can adhere to that criteria, spend less than you earn and invest the difference, you will be fine financially for your whole life. So I'm going to say this this myth is true if you have the discipline. Yeah, and and the discipline is the key point because um, this point, this point, came from I was actually trying to put together some myths for the show and um my boyfriend Jace he's been on the podcast here before too he was he he brought up he brought up this point actually because he he kind of he he's he was saying how we get marketing ads shoved in our face all the time and we're kind of surrounded by this society driven to buy and and he was saying that it becomes harder than ever not to spend money not to not to buy things not to buy shiny things and I think we have to try really, really hard to to not succumb to the 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 outward pressures and and the outward influences. So, and and at the same time too, that that discipline piece that you mentioned, Trevor, that piece, you can it's it's a one word. Discipline is a single word, but it, there's it's so all encompassing. There's so much. It, it's it's easier that word it just makes by saying that it just makes it sound easier said than done there's personal finance is not necessarily easy again if you if you're just kind of dabbling in it for the first time at age 30 40 50 if it's the first time you're actually getting involved in your personal finances it's not necessarily easy and by throwing out the two bullet points i mean there's so much more to that emotionally psychologically than just too simple this is what you do and this is how you get their bullet points Okay, so I throw the word around like discipline, like it's something I just pull out of my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so I I should just do a little little because I'm going to use the word discipline a ton here. I think I see a pattern forming. So discipline is different than motivation. Discipline is something that once you discover how to use it and where to find it, you use it. It becomes something you can plug into every aspect of your life. So. I use self-discipline to eat a responsible diet. I use self-discipline to get regular exercise. And I use self-discipline to be financially responsible. So, and I also use self-discipline to maintain all my close relationships. And I'm going to say once I discovered, and the first time I discovered self-discipline was from a dieting standpoint. I used to have a bit of a weight problem in my younger days, and I, I discovered, so I discovered it there. And once you discover it, and you you understand the power of discipline and how the the positive impact you make in your life, you just want to use it everywhere. So I there's I'm gonna look up some books that I've read. I can't think of any off the top of my head. I know I've I've, I've read about it a lot. 
and it, it it's a powerful tool i it's not something you can i don't know if i can describe it it's it's something you build slowly over time and what feeds discipline is results and i i you just have to bear down and keep your keep your focus so I, I I don't know. Is, is, does that sound like a really bad description of discipline to you? Or? No, no. I, I no, that makes sense. It's kind of like the the I, I don't know. Self will. I don't know. Self will. That doesn't even capture it. But the the ability to keep moving, driving forward with with something. So I think I would. A lot of people they put a goal in front of them, <clears throat> and they think that. And what drives you toward a specific goal is it, it, the goal re- represents a motivation. And the problem with motivation is it comes and goes. You can't count on it. It won't be there all the time. But discipline will never let you down. It will always be there. And it's just something you you ingrain yourself. In fact, getting up and going to work every day, even when you're maybe not feeling 100%, that is discipline. And so I, I'm going to say a lot of these myths can be busted with discipline. So I'm going to stop using that <laughs> that easy out for all these myths so because well, discipline personal, discipline isn't easy to uh, discipline's hard to develop yeah. but once you have it it's a superpower and you use it everywhere in your life <laughs> so superpower i like that uh, so i'm gonna stop i'm gonna stop using that so, so personal finance is easy you just don't buy anything so i get where you're coming from with marketing and you know amazon and every time you turn on your phone there's an ad there it's hard to resist those things yeah and and, and, and for and i'm gonna say the the key, if you if you continually expose yourself to, for instance, I wake up Saturday morning, I don't want to go to the mall. I want to go for a walk in nature. So I think designing your life in such a way that you don't expose yourself to material things like that, I, I, I think you can you can beat this myth by just structuring your life in such a way that you don't expose yourself to those things Ooh, and also surrounding yourself by like-minded people i mean anything you can do to make the personal your personal finance space easier to navigate and and, and the less i guess barriers and and roadblocks that you put up in the, your way to success because you can easily be going out every weekend and that's it's going to kind of be putting up all these roadblocks to your success that's a good point you know i, ha- I have a, some of my friends i've already called them up say hey do you, you want to go to the mall they just hang up <laughs> <laughs> no response <laughs> they, just they hang up even, they wouldn't even say bye right they just hang up right but if i called them up say hey do you want to you know go mountain biking in the forest they'd say uh, i'll beat your house in 10 minutes right yeah so so you're right surround yourself with people that want to do those things in fact when i go visit my kids they live uh three hours away and i go visit them and we in this, so if I, if I go visit them in the summer, we, we go to a park or we do something outdoors and it's so relaxing and, and the conversations just flow and we, we just catch up on, on things we, we never would have caught up on. But in the winter, it, it's, it's not, you know, you don't want to spend as much time outside. It's kind of cold. We'll end up uh, just, just to get out, we will go to a mall just to walk around because it's warmer. And then there's so many distractions that I, I feel like I barely visited. So I, I think you're right. So it's the people you you're, you surround yourself with, but also just choosing the right environment. Yeah. So this myth is true if you let it be true. If you design a life where your exposure to spending money is greater, then this myth becomes true. So no, this myth is true if you design your life where you don't expose yourself to things. So I think, 
I'm going to say this one. I'm going to call it maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. And I, the kind of the visualization that my, came to my head is stop trying to push a boulder up a hill. I mean, if you're, if, 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 if that's, if that's all the, the thing, if all this, the spending and the, the opportunities to, to, yeah, I guess spend money and be people that spend money is that boulder and you're just kind of trying to push up the hill and that's not easy. That's not making it easy on you to succeed. You're kind of just making it hard on yourself for no reason. Let go of the boulder, let it roll down and continue walking up the hill. Like that's kind of the, the visualization that I get. So yeah, like that. yeah you like that? Okay. Um, so number three, the third myth. And I, this one I really like. Um, my parents are bad at personal finance, which means they didn't have the opportunity to teach me how to get good at personal finance. So this one is, just say you're like, you're 16 and that, that that's your exposure i i you can you can blame your parents at 16 if you want you know that that's that's your just up to you but if you're 30 if you're 30 years old and you're you're blaming your your how your life is unfolding on your parents give me a break i mean at some point you have to own it it is on you so if you come from a in fact if you come from a family who who was terrible at personal finance that should be a window of how you don't want your life to play out. So this myth is is so untrue. I mean, the, 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 okay, this is a myth. <laughs> I, I said that wrong. So this this couldn't be more than this is the, one of the biggest myths out there. Is it's almost like saying it's hereditary. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's a disease I was born with, right? It's yeah. this is knowledge. You know, so just say you didn't get knowledge passed down to you, and, and you weren't taught personal finance. Does that mean you've never had exposure to a book or a blog or a podcast? I mean, give me a break. In fact, if you you should be motivated to gather the knowledge and if if your parents are open to it, teaching them what you know. And I, I will have to say that as I was writing this myth down, I mean, I feel very fortunate. I was, I don't know if you call, would say de- dealt a good hand, but I, I had the pleasure of being able to watch uh, my parents lead a healthy financial um, life and, and, and I still am able to reach out to them. So in saying this, yes, some individuals may have like a, like a leg up on, on other individuals because they, they kind of can, they have more, more of an accessible source of information, kind of easily a one phone call away, one text away, um, whereas others have to maybe collect it from external sources who maybe don't know their situation as intimately as their parents do. So there is there is a little bit, it is a little advantageous to, to again, have parents who are, are leading a more healthier financial lifestyle, but it doesn't at all, like Trevor said, it, it doesn't determine how or dictate what your life will look like. And if anything... You know, my parents always talk about legacies. You can kind of set a legacy for you and your family, and then which you can pass on to if you have, um, if you end up, if you have children, you can pass that legacy on to them. So I think that's really powerful. Is is it, that legacy works in personal finance as well, and you got to pave your own path. And and I think that's the powerful part about bringing knowledge into your life. So there's two lotteries in life that we all get to play. You don't get an op. You get, you don't get a choice in this lottery. The lottery is the country you're born in and the parents you're born to. So th- those are the two lotteries in life we all play. And some people win that lottery and some people lose it. So some people win both lotteries and some people just win one and not the other. So I'm going to say I won both lotteries without question. And because I was born in a very prosperous country and I was born to very res- 
financially responsible parents. So two lotteries I won. That doesn't guarantee a good financial outcome for me. My grandfather, he he was born in uh, war-torn Europe, spent five years, his, his coming of age five years in a prisoner of war camp, and then left that war-torn country because there was basically, you would starve to death if you stayed there, came to a foreign land, Canada, couldn't speak a word of English, and when he passed away, he left a fairly substantial inheritance to his heirs. So there's a guy who lost both lotteries in life and made out quite well financially. So I'm saying the, your, how your parents manage money has zero impact on how you manage money. It just means you lost a lottery and your road might be a little harder than mine or a little harder than the person sitting next to you, but you still have to carve and walk down that road yourself. So let's move on to number four. So this this fourth myth was actually inspired by a question I asked Trevor during our last week's episode. Um, if you didn't listen to it, this is basically the question again. And if you did, um, it, again, this is this was inspired by something that kind of popped in my head last weekend. So number four, the fourth myth is people with a financial background have an upper hand. So um, so Trevor does work in corporate finance. He does a lot of uh, spreadsheet stuff. No, he uses a lot of spreadsheets and he analyzes a lot of numbers. So he, like day in and day out, he, he, that's what he does. So Trevor, does this give you an upper hand and does this make you exceptional at personal finance? So this can actually, this is, a, so I'm going to say this myth is, is false because this can actually work against you. So if you, if you tried to live your life in a spreadsheet, you know, unfortunately life doesn't happen in a spreadsheet, but if you, if you just ran the numbers on everything in every decision you made, if you just looked at the numbers only, you will have made a, a lot of bad funny, a, a, lot, a lot of bad life decisions just looking at the numbers. So I'm saying, like for instance, if you were to buy a house and you based it purely on square foot per dollar, just say that's the math you did, or you bought cars based on uh, kilometers per dollar on, on a used car. If that was your 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 total analysis of every purchase you made, you'll have made some really bad decisions. I guarantee it. So you have to you have to look beyond the numbers all the time. In fact, the numbers are just a a a small piece of every per, every life decision you make, and. So I'm going to say this one can work against you. You might think you have an upper hand, but you actually, you're working from a, a position of weakness if you think this is, because personal finance, again, 90% behavioral. So again, if you're just running the spreadsheets, you're forgetting about your wants and needs and trying to separate those. I, I think this one is, is, a, is a myth without question. So the one thing I kind of pulled from that was that there is emotion involved in personal finance. And and I think that, that kind of key piece set a light bulb off in my head and that that is is what drives um, personal finance really because you're saying, yeah, it had a little, little to do with numbers but a lot to do with emotion which which then goes into that whole, um, it's, it's, it's more behavioral than math. Like it, just say I, I have the spreadsheet, elaborate spreadsheet with all my budgeted numbers in there for every month and all my income expenses, my 75 spending categories all just, you know, dialed in. 
and just say, I, I you know, I, I lose my mind. I say, boy, I need a truck. <laughs> 65000 And I put my $1,200 truck payment into my budget and it works. Just say the math works. Just just say, holy smokes. I, I, I'm still, I'm, I'm spending less than I earn. It, it, this is magic, man. The spreadsheet says I should buy this truck. Still, it's still a bad choice, right? So you, if you can't separate wants from needs, but you have a personal finance background and, I mean, a financial background and a whole bunch of letters after your name that are connected to, to math, you, you you could still be a train wreck in personal finance. I like that. That's that's good. Um, so let's move on to number five. So five of sixteen. We've really loaded all the myths into the show. So number five is personal finance is a place you get to. This means that personal finance. This myth would be then that personal finance there is a destination. But Trevor, what do we always say here? Yeah. Well, personal finance is a journey. And the destination is always the horizon in the future. It is never, because you would think I'm reaching the destination, right? I'm about to retire. Well, and then, but Ron sends me this email telling me, here's a whole new world for you to think about. So, and all of a sudden I have another horizon I'm chasing. So personal finance, if you treat it like a destination, you will be so disappointed all the way along. It is absolutely a journey. And, and I think too that if this point kind of extends to as well, your journey towards developing a healthier relationship with your finances, pretend you start out at ground zero and lots of consumer debt, lots just loans on, on everything that you have to, in, in, in my, my perspective, just be kind, gentle and, pers- and patient with yourself as you go through your journey and that wherever you're starting and I mean it's hard to I, I don't want to say enjoy the place you're at enjoy that spa you're at but find some kind of thing whether it's appreciation for where you came from yesterday to today or or, or something to really enjoy the journey I mean Trevor I again I am not a homeowner I haven't bought a car so I'm not sure if I'm speaking out of utopian right now when you were paying off your mortgage when you were paying off the things you're paying off was there any type of was it just kind of you're just always focused ahead or was there any kind of appreciation you could have for the progress you were making while you were in it so we said it's a journey but you need you have to i call them signposts so you have to be on this journey and you have to celebrate every time you pass a signpost in your journey so one of my signposts was paying off my mortgage early. You know, that's a signpost. And I, I you know, I, I enjoyed that signpost and we, we stopped and had a picnic and, <laughs> and enjoyed ourselves at that spot on the journey. And then there's another signpost up in the, in the future. It was, it was, you know, funding my kids education. And then the next one was saving for retirement. So I've had all these signposts in my life, but I, I knew they weren't destinations. They were just plateaus on my way through life. And I, I, get, I if you if you think personal finance is a destination, you are setting yourself up for so much disappointment because in fact, you don't want any anything in your life to be a destination because that means it's the end, right? You 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 always want to be growing and developing. So life in general should always be a journey. 
So in speaking to this, you would say then that once you, because you're, you're free of debt right now, when you reached that point of kind of paying off your mortgage, paying off all your car loans, would you, you, you didn't even, that wasn't even the destination. That was just, again, like you said, a signpost. So I'm just, I'm kind of thinking in perspective of our listeners who are like, no, but Trevor, when I, when I, when I get to that point of financial independence, I, I've made it, that's a destination, but you're saying that no life is continuing to unfold in front of you. Well, Ron just sent me an email telling me that's not true. And he, he gave me a lot to think about. So I, I, I so it couldn't be further from true. So you, you, the destination is a death, I guess, right? That's, that's the final destination. So why are you in such a hurry to get there? No, that's fair. That's completely fair. Let's jump on to the next one. So the six of 16 myths is there's a quote unquote right way to do personal finance. So this is a myth because again, if just say you have a, I spend more than I earn problem, then your financial personal finance solution in, in terms of, you know, creating a budget or putting things in place to alter your behavior is going to be different than a person who who spends dramatically less than they earn and they keep it all in a checking account making you know a fraction of a percent of interest those two people they both need help but in different ways so there's only one way to do personal finance you need to find somebody and remember we talked last week about mentoring you need to find somebody who shares your goals and aspirations in life and they they probably have a really good solution, but you still would have to modify that solution to, to solve your problems. So there is as many ways to do personal finance as there is people in the world. Definitely. And and there are, and when we say right way, there are definitely right well, in fact, strategies. In fact, in fact, there's many personal finance podcasts and ours focuses on deliberate lifestyle choices people who are also seeking early financial independence. Other people, they are, it's, they might be seeking out information about building as much wealth as humanly possible and working however long they need to, but wealth accumulation is the only thing they care about. I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but you wouldn't come here to get that information. You would come here if you want to retire early and live life deliberately. So this, this is an example, right? Yeah, no, that's I'm I'm glad you made that point. That's it's that is so important. And when we say right way, there definitely are right strategies to take on. And and Trevor kind of mentioned it, spend less than you are, and just kind of those basic personal finance principles that are probably going to um, benefit you than harm you. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say there's there's correct philosophy. Yes, that's a good right? way. But strategies is probably getting a little into the weeds, right? So yeah, philosophies. Yeah, there's 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 a right philosophy that that in a lot of these philosophies are universal. Like spend less than you earn, and invest the difference. There isn't anybody who couldn't use that philosophy. No, and and I at this point was so important for me to include in this myth list today because if you're anything like me and you go to cook or bake and and you really can't do either unless you follow a recipe and follow the exact measure measurements in there. I know personal finance for me had always been. Oh, like what are the exact numbers? What is the exact formula for success? I mean, it's that way um, professionally for me as well in my work. I'm always looking for the the formula for success to do what I do. And 
it's it's not going to be out there because like Trevor said, there are philosophies, best practices um, to follow within the industry, within your field or within personal finance, but never a roadmap, unfortunately, for the way to succeed for you. In fact, if if you approach somebody for some help in personal finance and they say, oh, you're doing it all wrong and you you have yet to tell them what your problem is, move on. <laughs> you, you've found the wrong person to help you. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So let's move on to number seven. That was number six. Number seven is I'm older now. It's too late. So this myth again, not, not, you know, this, this is a myth. It's, this isn't true. Uh, in fact, the older you are, the more important it is because when you're young, you, you, you have your biggest wealth building tool. You, you have a lot of it. It's, it's earning income. So if, if you, if you don't get involved in your personal finances in your 30, you still have a lot of earning potential in you, life energy to earn money. So, but when the when you get older, you get say my age, you have le- le- very little earning potential in your future. You're just going to get old and and your body's going to start break down. You won't be able to earn income. So you the older you get, the more important it becomes to to understand your finances and know where they're going and they're, make sure they're working for you, not against you. So as long as you have your wealth, the as your greatest wealth building tool, your income starts to shrink in terms of over your life, it, it just gets smaller and smaller, the more important personal finance becomes. So in saying this, I mean... This one, this one was one that for me that I, I kind of struggle with believing is not true. So you're saying if if, if you're 40 or 50, and and yet you realize you're I don't have a grip on my personal finances, that you can always make a turnaround. And is the turnaround going to su- result in success or or just like I, I'm guessing if you're if you're 50 you're not exactly going to be retiring by 55 if this is the first time you're really glimpsing in on your personal finances but what what kind of success or results can we expect that it, the, the later on in life that we do turn to getting our finances in order well let's just say you're 55 and you're drowning in debt and your health is I'm going to say average so you probably got 10 productive years left in you to earn income you you should be in crisis management mode you have 10 years to solve this equation right but just say you're 30 and you're you're a financial train wreck well you have like 25 maybe 30 years of earning potential in your future you should still figure out how to solve it but not in such a a crisis management mode you you could sort of strategize and and have a long-term plan but if you only get 10 years of earning left and you are drowning in debt you need to figure that out in a hurry because you, you're not going to work till you're 80 earning the same money even if you work till you're 80 i would think you're going to have a reduction in income because you're just not going to be as productive but if that if that individual later in life is does realize the state of emergency really goes at it with gazelle-like intensity that 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 there is success that there can be um a, a good financial outcome for this individual oh yeah it's it's never too late but the older you get the more urgent it becomes so I, i'm going to say 
it, well, and it would just say, what if you say it's too late? So what are you going to declare bankruptcy? Like what's, what's your outcome? How does this story play out? No, you have to ask yourself that. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it goes back to the whole thing we said at the beginning that um, the, the victim mentality. So number eight, let's move on to the next myth. The next personal finance myth on our list is caring about personal finances is only for those with lower incomes. So this is a myth. And I, so people with low income should care about personal finance because you are close to the financial edge, meaning if you have a low income, the chances are every every penny you earn is accounted for in just living expenses. So if you have a low income, absolutely be involved in personal finance. But if you have a large income, now you you have more money and you you've increased your your chance of of disaster, right? You you could be buying $65,000 trucks every couple of years and and look back with with huge regret. Like so if you earn a lot of money, you you need to get involved even more. So the person who's who's who has a really low income, I'll say minimum wage, their budgeting needs are really simple. There, there, it's there's nothing. There's very little decision making going on there. But if you have a really large income, your budgeting needs are elaborate, and the, the decision making is tenfold, right? Because now you've got to figure out how to spend this money wisely. So, I, I think it's a myth because everyone should be involved. But the bigger your income, the, the you've just increased your your potential mistake financial mistakes in life. And when there is a s- Actually, I'll save this one for the next one. I was about to say something, but I'm saying for the next myth. So that was number eight. Number nine is very similar, but worth mentioning. Um, so number nine is if I made more money, I wouldn't have any financial worries or problems. So this one's not true. And, and I, I read this article, I, I'm going to say it was about a year ago, and it was a room full of people and they were, uh, it was a, a personal finance conference. And they surveyed all the people that came in and you had to sort of check your income range in this survey. You had to say, you know, I earned, you know, is my income between 20 and 30,000 is between, you know, 30 or 40,000 between 40 or 50,000. You get the idea. So when they did this uh, conference, they, they, they had this information and they didn't know, you didn't have to put your name on. It was a random, just an anonymous survey, but everyone in the room had to fill it out. So in the conference, it said, so, how many people in this room uh, would, if they earn $10,000 more a year, would think their financial problems would be solved? And almost everybody put their hand up. And then the person giving the conference said, well, do you realize that, you know, this room is even, you know, they gave the stats on that uh, 25% of these people earned, you know, 30 to 40,000, 25% of the people in this room earned the next plateau and, and so on. It was pretty evenly distributed in the room. And so the person said, do you realize the person sitting in front of you probably earns $10,000 more a year than you do, but they're at this conference trying to figure out the personal finances just like you are. So don't pretend for a minute that another $10,000 is going to solve your problem. It's probably going to complicate your problem. So earning more money, it, it, it's, I'm going to say this, it's, I have one of my kids, they, they have a, I'm going to say a spending problem, but they think they have an income problem. And most people in life, they, they don't have a, a lack of income. 
they have too much expense in their life. So I, I'm a firm believer that if you, you, you have so much control over your expenses and so little control over your income, why not focus on the thing you can control the most? Wow, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. The 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 conference example you threw. That's it's and and it's true. Why why not focus on the things you can control and and what you just said there? I mean, it's there's so many things out of our control. But like you said, it, it, focus on what you can, and that kind of takes away the the whole victim mentality as well, because you really can't at times control your spend your earning potential or 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 anything like that. But you can definitely control your expenses. So everyone that listens to this podcast, they know that me and my wife are blessed with twins as our first children. And with twins comes a lot of diapers, <laughs> more diapers than you know. And I remember saying, uh, boy, when we're done buying diapers, we're going to have just buckets full of money. You know, we won't even know what to do with it. And it got consumed up as soon as those diapers went away. There's some other expense that showed up. So it, it, having... You have to manage your expenses. That That is the key to personal finance. And I'm going to say getting more income can't hurt you, but managing expenses is far more powerful. I love that. Let's move on to number 10. Um, and, and number 10 is everyone else around me is living large. Why can't I? So this, this one, I just want to kind of jump in here. This one is around the point that you, you may see everyone around you driving large trucks and, and going on large vacations and, and living at their large cottages. And, and you're wondering, what are they doing that I possibly haven't figured out? So this one is true. It, you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with. And so if you surround yourself with people who live large, then you're going to want to live large yourself. So I, 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 when I, so any friends I had that live large... I may have just thought they were great people, but they were destroying me financially. And I, I had to separate myself. And I have friends that travel um, extensively. And I, I look at their vacation pictures all the time. And they are they plan to work to the traditional age of 65. I, I don't, so I don't share the same goals. So... Our, our interests are not aligned, so I can't, I can't spend a great deal of time with them, because we just we don't value the same things at this point in life. Maybe once we're retired, we're you know we're we're both retired, so ten years from now, <laughs> I I may connect with them again, and we'll 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 have similar interests again at that point. But right now, I I can't live the life they're living, and in, in appreciate the things they appreciate, and it's unfortunate, but there's stages in your life where you're just not going to going to connect with the same people. Here's a, a big one is when you have children and you have friends that, that don't have children. So when you first have children, the chances of all you, all of your friends having children at the same time, it just doesn't happen that way. And so you end up drifting away from the people who don't have children because you have different constraints in life. And so you're not going to connect with them at the same level. So I think it's important to, to not let this myth be true and surround yourself with like-minded people. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I also wanted to add too in about this point that um, when something seems good, too good to be true, when, when, you, when you can't possibly figure out how someone makes everything work, how they have everything and, and, and you're left scratching your head, it's probably because they're living on, in credit. They're living, they're living with debt. 
yeah, if you can't make the math work at a very high level, chances are debt is, is, is there's, there's a debt element to that math equation that you obviously can't see. So you definitely, it's, it's about kind of pulling back the curtain and, and really examining it. And, and I think, I think this point too, it goes to the whole, I mean, you, you're listening to this, you probably heard this everywhere, but the whole social media thing and comparing your life to someone else's life and, and what they're doing and, and what they're experiencing. And this, this definitely comes through in personal finance as well, but more of an immediate way, because it's, it's whether, like you said, Trevor, pull up to the parking lot and see all the other $65,000 trucks. It's, 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 you're really um, infiltrated by um, images of, of other people living this kind of the, maybe the standard debt consumed life that you're trying to, to move away from. Do you know what, you know, what helps break this myth is, is change your, your glasses, the, the way you look at things. When I see uh, elaborate things like expensive vehicles and in, in, in fancy homes, I don't. I look beyond that, and I see the consumption of wealth. I I, I look at the sixty five thousand dollar truck and think, wow, I could have lived for you know three years in retirement off the price of that truck. You know, as, as an example, or or that truck would have produced this much in an investment. You know, the, this is the kind of returns I would have would have I could have got for sixty five thousand dollars. So I look at I look at at the consumption of wealth rather than I, I, so I look beyond the shininess and, and I look at, at that, the sacrifices that person is going to make or has made to have that shiny whatever. But such a constructive reframing of uh, the situation to really give you a new perspective. I love that. It's so powerful. And, and I often feel bad for the person who, who's showing me their brand new truck. <laughs> I, I, I do. I appear interested at the time and they'll show me all the, the neat features it has. And, and I will congratulate them on their purchase. But I'll walk away feeling bad for that person knowing that they've, they've signed up for, you know, insane truck payments or they've foregone uh, uh, great investment returns. No, definitely. So that was number, where are number 11? No, that was number 10. Number 11 is... And, and I, this one's, this one's kind of something that I really want to include because it's, it's kind of, it's really, I don't know. I feel like it affects all, a, a lot of us, but, um, so number 11 is it feels like my debts will never get paid off. Why even start or try? So if you, I can only say that once you're debt free, you, you have no idea. Okay. So th- this, this myth this is a myth, but most people believe it. But if you you don't know how much weight you're carrying on your shoulders, how much emotional weight you're carrying when you have debt in your life, and you you don't know it until it's gone, and you realize that you, you have, like, even if you don't do anything different in your life, you you go to work every day, you you do the, all the same things, but not having debt in your life, it, it's it's so freeing and. It's one of these intangible things that you, you couldn't market it to anybody because you can't see it. You can't feel it. You can't touch it. Well, you can feel it, but it's not something you could sell to somebody, debt freedom. It's hard to sell. Actually, that's what we try to do on this podcast. Who <laughs> yeah. am I kidding? But, but it's a real tough sell. But if you, I, I, so I remember this. So when I got, bought my first car, uh, I said, I'm going to always have a car payment in life, so I might as well get used to it. I might as well figure out how to 
fit this into my personal finance life because I'm always going to have one. Ooh, that's that's meant, like that's a good that's a good kind of a that, that's a, that's like a myth almost. That's that's a good it, one. It, it is, and and this is where the least car was born. Is people just they they assumed they were always going to have a car payment, so why not just get used to it? You know, why why fight it? Car payments are just a fact of life. Well, they're not, or they don't have to be. So I, th- this is a myth, but I think most people believe it to be true. In fact, mortgages that the I paid off my house in fifteen years, but people sign up for twenty five or thirty year mortgages, and they they just assume a mortgage will always be in their life, at least until they retire. So the, this myth is true for most people, but it doesn't have to be. I I I don't know why, but that was a that was a mic drop moment for me. Um, when when you said that, when you when you talked about two other massive areas in your life where we just assume that's the norm, because maybe everyone else in our life has a mortgage and everyone else has a car payment, so we just assume that's how it has to be. That's so limiting, but I'm glad you brought that up. And and Trevor, for the person who's listening to this, who has been working away at paying off. X, Y, or Z consumer debt, or or maybe it's a student loan, or it's a mortgage. What big piece of advice do you have for this person who's 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 wondering when this debt repayment will end, and and what can keep them going to to, to get to their end goal of of being debt free? Well, we've said it. you need a big why you're doing something in life, and then the how you'll figure it out. I'm not, you know. Your how is going to be different than my how, but if you know why you're doing something, we're, we're all pretty resourceful. You, you can figure out how, and we have a whole bunch of episodes on how to get debt-free on, on our back catalog. But I'm going to say, if so for instance, one of my my whys I got out at, I got my mortgage paid off in 15 years, is I had three kids I wanted to put through post-secondary education. And... The money I was using to pay my mortgage was going to help finance that education. So I, I had a, a why I wanted to, my house paid off in 15 years. I, I sort of did a, a big picture and said, the only way this is going to work without us taking on a whole bunch of debt is to get rid of the, some of the debt we currently have so we can cash flow the education. So that's an example. And and, and that why when it's tied to your family and your children is, is pretty pretty big and pretty moving. Well, no, I was going to educate my kids regardless, but I didn't want to take on, I, I was hoping to not take on a whole bunch of debt in doing it, and I didn't. But the, I, I had to get the, 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 debt, the debt that was in my life out, which was my mortgage. So let's move on to the next personal finance myth. And the next one, number 12, is I tried the personal finance thing and it didn't work out. So I'm not sure what you mean by this one. You'll have to elaborate. So yeah, so this one is, this one is kind of around the whole. Oh, I th- I tried to make a budget with 75 categories and it failed, or I tried I tried setting up this really aggressive um, repayment plan for myself. It just kind of personally, I tried doing that and it and it failed. And I think this is the same phenomenon that happens. Is actually I was just listening to another podcast. Um, 
uh, the Rise Together podcast, actually. It's so good. Um, but anyways, listening to that and on it, they were talking about how if, if, if you set up a plan for yourself to try to go to the gym seven days a week right off the bat, you haven't been to the gym in a while or maybe this is your first time really getting serious about going to the gym. You try to go seven days a week, really hard, stay for an hour, lift all the weights, do all the cardio and you fail after two weeks and and then you convince yourself that you're not made to be physically fit you're not made to go to the gym and and all this is rooted around not trusting yourself not trusting yourself um to have ability to succeed that that you're not cut out for 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 being that person who who can succeed in that realm and i think that same philosophy extends over to personal finance if you don't trust yourself that you have the uh determination the drive the self-discipline to pay off your debts to be financially independent then you won't be because that trust for yourself and your ability to again succeed is not there so if I tried something in life and didn't succeed, that that becomes a learning opportunity. For instance, we had somebody, we did one on used cars, and somebody wrote in saying they bought a used car and it turned out to be a disaster. And so they come to the conclusion that I'm no good at buying used cars, I'll just buy new ones. And of course, we did a podcast saying, you know, get more granular and look at where did it go wrong? You know, what what specifically did I... did? So I'm going to say... If so, this is a myth. It'll be true if you let it be true, but it's a myth in that if you tried something like personal finance, it didn't work. Then you need to learn something from it. You need to look at it more granular. So, like you mentioned, maybe you have seventy-five spending categories and you couldn't manage them, right? So, or or, or there's seventy-five spending categories, it becomes meaningless, right? So you you can't analyze that or or, or draw a conclusion to where things went wrong. But I would say. If you try something in life and it doesn't work, try something different. Yeah, approach it from a different angle, and or or talk to talk with someone and figure out kind of. I know I was struggling with setting up my like my a spreadsheet for my budget a while ago, so I reached out to my brother. He he had this well developed spreadsheet, and again, I don't. Like I say this with with cautions. I don't. I we don't recommend, or I don't recommend personally, just um, developing or just kind of taking. It following someone's exact model because it's not going to but I was at a loss of how to uh, a loss of how to kind of formulate my long-term budget spreadsheet so with with the help of someone else who kind of been down that road found something that worked for him I was able to incorporate um, the basis of that into my uh, my budgeting practices so and so I think it's too about starting small back to the gym example maybe start going one day a week then two days a week and three days a week and I mean Trevor you just kind of started going to the gym um not I want to say more recently but um within the last few months and I'm sure you kind of take the same approach that it's like slowly by slowly building that up and trusting yourself that you with with the right strategies implemented by taking your gym equipment with you to work so you kind of go straight to the gym making it easier for yourself to succeed so here's a tip I got about working out. And so I, I used to, I would go work out and just say I, I, I ended up, I went away for the weekend or, or I took a vacation and I missed a couple of days. And I, so just, I used to get focused on, on how many pounds of weights I was lifting. And then if for some reason I got sidetracked in life and then I'd regress and I, I'd be, I, I'd have to drop down a few pounds and, and, and build that muscle back up and I got discouraged but I got a tip saying, don't focus on the number of pounds you're lifting. Just lift enough pounds so your muscles burn. 
and they're sore the next day. And then you know muscles are growing. And so now if, if I do, I go away in business for a week and I, and I, I miss a week's worth of workouts, I'm not discouraged anymore because I just need to go and burn those muscles again. So I, I think if this is a myth, but if you have a, uh, I'm going to learn from some, I'm going to learn from this, something from this strategy in life, uh, all, all aspects of your life. If you just want to learn, like for instance, Ron sent me that email. I, I'm open. Like I could say, hey, I got retirement figured out. I don't need your input. But I want, I, I'm hungry for anything. Like you, you should want to learn something every day. So if you tried something in personal finance that didn't work, you should just be hungry for knowledge and, and want to be inquisitive and say, you know, what, why didn't it work? Not it didn't work. I'm done. So moving on to 13 of 16 myths that we have for you today. Our 13th myth is my spouse takes care of the personal finances so I don't have to. So as it turns out, my spouse, as it turns out, my spouse does, right? No, but, but, but I, I do. But she's the bookkeeper. Yes, yes. But there's, there's many roles of personal finance. So this is a myth and you should hope it's not true in your life because you don't want to, there's two, two, two ways of looking at this. So one is you don't want to burden one person in the relationship with all the personal finance decisions. That's not fair. And secondly, you don't want to be out of the loop. You want to have it. You should want to have input into your personal finance. So me and my wife, we sit in, so this is just picture us. We're sitting in our, in our family room. My wife has her phone and that's what we, she uses as a bookkeeping tool. And there's, we use the home budget personal finance app and she'll input a receipt or be updating uh, expenses from a credit card statement. And she will just ask me questions about, do you do realize Netflix went up? I go, oh, we did it. How much is it? And we kind of revisit the Netflix. Do we still want that? Um, she'll say, you know, the internet is, is gone up. Do we, you know, we have, should we look for a cheaper option? Like, you want both people involved, so one one person not burdened with it. Two, you both have input, right? What if she said, "Oh, this the sports station subscription. I, I've never watched that. I'm going to cancel it, right?" And then I go to watch my next Toronto Maple Leaf game, and it's not on. So it's you. You want to have input all the time. So this one, I'm going to say, in most situations, I'll bet you most people just one spouse takes care of all the finances, all the bill paying, all the financial decisions, and the other person's just along for the ride. So this myth, this is a myth, but I I suspect this happens in more relationships than we know. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I do want to add on too for, I mean, anyone who's been with us for a while knows that Trevor is involved in the personal finances some level. Trevor, you have mentioned that you are involved in the long-term planning. You kind of do the forecasting, the the looking ahead, whereas as your wife kind of deals with more of, uh, like you said, the bookkeeping. Yeah, you know what you're doing this right, the personal finance right in your relationship is if you both have questions for each other. So if I'm always, if my wife's always asking me questions about personal finances and hers tend to be the short-term questions because she's doing the the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month bookkeeping and I'm asking her long-term questions. You know, what do you think about this and what do you think about that? Long-term, you know, and if you both are asking each other questions, you're probably, you have the right chemistry as it comes to personal finance. 
And I, I mean, I don't know if this happens, but I, when I was kind of formulating this myth, I was thinking that, um, so so there's kind of, it's kind of twofold. We, if, if you do share kind of joint um, finances with your partner, um, where you kind of combine all your kind of earnings into kind of one pool, I guess is how you describe it there. You should kind of both be involved in, in deciding how, how that's spent and how you look forward, which is again, what Trevor and his wife do. Um, but I, and, and I also, there's, I, cause I'm just with the whole, I mean, uh, if, if you have, if one parent is a stay at home parent, um, looking after their kids and, and the other is, is providing for the family in terms of, of earning the income, there could be that also tension about, oh, who should have maybe, I don't use the word control, but has more kind of direction of where that money goes or something like that. But I, at the, at the, I say that, and, and I say that as a myth because I do, I do firmly believe that it's important again, like we've been saying to for have both partners involved in, in the planning. So number 14, 14 of 16 and 14, our 14th myth is, and this one kind of goes back to our budgeting. We kind of mentioned this before, but, um, personal finance is, or personal finance and planning personal finances and thinking about personal finances is too restrictive. So anything, I, I, I kept using life in general. If you approach life with a deprivation mindset, meaning I am going to deprive myself of these things in that I know it's going to better me. If that is your mindset, even you're, it is unsustainable, unsustainable. So this is a myth, but it, it, it's true for a lot of people. They, again, if here's here's a really good example. Again, back to health. If you restrict the amount of food you eat uh, because in an effort to lose weight, so just say you eat a, a smaller portions of really bad food, you you probably will lose weight. But you will be deprived. You'll be in deprivation mode the whole time you're doing it. Whereas if you change the food you eat and eat just as much, you will probably you know to to a healthier food, you will lose weight and you won't feel deprived. So again, budgets. If you have an appetite for expensive things and you need to pay off your debt, you if you don't change your mindset and and and, and continue to desire these these things you can't afford then you will be in deprivation mode and budgets will be restrictive but if you say you know these things are no longer important to me but but financial freedom is important to me and you so you end up with a bigger why you're doing something then you won't feel like you're depriving yourself so it's really changing your mindset from deprivation to uh, i'm gonna say uh, making your goals more important than the shiny things in life so it's all about, again, like a lot of this is changing perspective and changing how you view something. Yeah, and I can't stress enough. If your solution in life of anything is is to deprive yourself of something you really covet and want, be it food, money, possessions, if, if, you're, if, if you believe that that, that is going to get you where you're going. It will, but only in the short term. This is unsustainable. Uh, our human behavior are, is way stronger than any of any of the short-term motivations you can put in front of yourself. So it, it's really, yeah, wanting, wanting something else, like financial freedom, financial independence, 
has to be greater than your want for a $65,000 truck. You know, you, those two things can't compete. So the second last myth is, and, and, and this one you'll, as soon as I say it, you'll know it's, it's, it, it is a myth, but um, it is, I'm not wired that way. And, and this speaks volumes to the, our whole math first behavior um, thing that we always say. Well, I, I think people truly are not wired for numbers, right? And, and you do need a, a sense of numbers. You, and I'm going to, I, I don't want to play on artistic people, but somebody of a, of a artistic mindset, they, they might not appreciate or, or see the value in analyzing numbers. And I think you need so I, I say it's 10% math, but you do need to do the math. You need to do the 10%. Even you, but you also have to do the 90% behavior. You've got to solve that. But the numbers, you, you have, there is a mathematical element to personal finance that, that is required. It needs to be done. There's some reconciling of, of bank statements and, and credit card statements and, and making sure you haven't overpaid and you, you, you've, all your bills are up to date. So, I do. I truly believe some people are not wired to look at at financial numbers, but it's not an option. You, you got to do it. Somebody in your life has to be responsible for this. So, I, okay, I'm a numbers guy, but my my wife does the bookkeeping, and I don't even pretend to understand. You know the the timing. Well, I do know the timing of all when the bills are paid, but I don't pretend that I have the discipline to sit down like she does and do that daily grind of bookkeeping. You notice I call it a grind because it, it looks cumbersome, but she loves it. She just eats it up. So hopefully somebody in your relationship enjoys that part. But my wife can't stand the, the long-term financial spreadsheets I put together. She, In fact, when I try to walk her through all the nuances of the spreadsheet and, and how it works and, and, and how the numbers are flowing, she really just wants the number at the end. You know, that's really what she wants to know. And she, she will patiently listen to me go on and on about <laughs> all the neat formulas I've created in this spreadsheet, which I know, but she, she really just wants to know the final answer. So we, we kind of complement each other in a personal finance world. So some people don't have that luxury. I, I get that. But hopefully one person in a relationship has more of those skills than the other. And, and this point is one that I, I think speaks to me because I... I, I, I cannot add and subtract to save my life. Like it, it is, it is kind of ridiculous how, how little, um, I can, I can, I can do those things. And, um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm that person who reaches for their calculator for, for, for pretty much everything, which is not, not great, but, and, and again, I, I excel at writing. That's where, that's where my strength is. So I consider myself more, um, artistic brained, but so I can't, I just, for the record, I can't spell the to save my life, <laughs> this but is I'm true. great with numbers. This is true. Yeah. So I, and, but the thing is like, if I, if I gave you one of my handwritten grocery lists, <laughs> you get the groceries, you'd get to the grocery store and say, I have no idea what he needs. <laughs> None. And, 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 and like in your writing too, it's not, it's not impeccable either. <laughs> anyway. So, so we've got, so Trevor does excel at math and I, I excel at writing. So I, I like that's what this point speaks to me, and I feel like I I kind of can can speak to the point, and everyone else who's like Courtney, I I I, I can't add or subtract either. I'm with you, but and, and like Trevor said, you have no option but to get good at it. So how I view this point is that 
um, even my, even my partner, Jace, he, he's, he ex- really is great at math. So we, we do compliment each other in that way, but he understands that if he explains something to me mathematically, that he might have to explain it a few times. Or if I'm trying to figure out some numbers in my head separate of him, that I know I'll get there. I know I'll be able to figure it out. I just, it, it, it's going to take me that much longer with that much more effort. I'll have to really, really think about it and think about it hard. So yeah, it's going to come easier to Trevor. He'll be able to maybe spend five minutes on it and I'll spend 10. But I, I realize that it, it, there's no, there's, you just have to get better at it with practice, with time, and that there's no way around it. You can't just throw your hands up the air and expect someone else to take care of your personal finances. So the myth that personal finance is hard, that was one of the first, I think it was the first one we did. Yeah. And I'm going to say that myth could be true, right? It could be true. Personal finance could be hard. And, and number 15, I might not be worried that way. Those those are, those myths are true. They they are, they really exist. Yes. Yeah, so, and, and that's why, that's, that's why I did throw them in there because it, to your point, Trevor, they are, but I did throw them in there mostly for the reason that these cannot be limiting beliefs. Yes, you may not be wired that way, but they cannot be a reason that you don't engage with um, a healthy personal, a healthy relationship with personal finances. Absolutely, this this can't be your out. This can't be exactly. That's why I don't. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. And the last but not least, personal finance myth is personal finance is something I can I have quotes around this dabble in whenever it's convenient for me. I'm going to say, yeah, you could, you could, if you have some short-term goals you're trying to hit and personal finance, you know, paying attention to your money in the short term gets you there. That could be a strategy. And I mean, that's better than the person that never pays attention to their personal finances. So you could dabble in this, just say you want to buy a house and you need to get some financial structure in your life to save up a down payment. Well, if you, you know, decide to get a budgeting app for your phone and, and, build some discipline and, and save some money and, and you end up with a down payment for a house and you buy the house and then you abandon all your strategies and, and carry on with life before that if, if, if that gets you to the signposts in life, then I, I say, sure. But I would think that if you were to adopt a financial, a personal finance philosophy in your life that enabled you to save up a down payment for a house, I would think that would be a motivator and a springboard to even want to accomplish greater things. So this this is a myth, and I've seen people do this. You know, I, I, for instance, just say you graduated from university and you have a whole bunch of student debt and you want to get that out of your life as quickly as possible. Well, you could, you know, pay attention to finances, get that student debt out of your life, and then start start living large, right? Enjoy your youth. So I think you can dabble in personal finance. If, if your goals are, are short term and, and if it works for you, then I, I think this one, this one could be true. And, and this one I, I really wanted to include because it, it speaks to the all in or all out mentality and maybe the fear that we may have around personal finance that because maybe we back to number 14 about personal finance being too restrictive maybe we believe that personal finance takes the spontaneity out of life that if it's not budgeted and we can't engage with it so that's a that's a good point the you know if your fear of stepping into the world of personal finance is you have to be all in forever 
yeah, I would say maybe believe in this myth a little bit and maybe it sparks a personal finance interest that, that you can foster for the rest of your life. But if, if just know it doesn't have to. And, and, and I, I specifically, where did it kind of dabble in? Because I mean, when you think about personal finance, if you look at the whole picture, you're like, oh, Trevor's got that budget going. He's got that spreadsheet going. He, he, uh, X, Y, and Z that Trevor engages in that, that maybe I should be doing too. It can sound really overwhelming, but Trevor's been going up personal finance since his twenties and, and now he's approaching, um, semi-retirement. So I think it's fair to say that you, Trevor, have maybe incorporated things, have elaborated on certain things. We're just seeing your kind of you at your peak of personal finance doing all the things. And if we're just getting started in it, if we've never, kind of engage with it because we're afraid that there's it's rather have to be all in or all out and all in is all the things that it can be intimidating so I, I guess this just speaks to the point that you can you can that you you should want I, I don't know I feel when I say dabble in so it's kind of like half-heartedly is how I would consider dabble in but I think this is a myth because you should want to be all in but all in at the pace and the comfortability that you're at if that's if that's budgeting with five categories, like we talked about in our budgeting category or three or two, or if that's just kind of making small steps in the, in the direction that's healthy for you. I think that's, that's what being all in should be for you. Yeah, no, I agree that that's a good way to look at it. I, 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 so you're saying don't dabble. So dabbling in, in personal finance is a bit of a myth. You won't, you won't get any traction. You won't get no, any results. That's like, that's like, Oh, like I'll, I'll, I'll do this for a little bit. And if oh, I didn't like, it's kind of, it does speak to, um, the, our, our 12, I tried personal finance and it didn't work, but this is just kind of wholeheartedly going at it. Like if you're, if you're into having a, if you want something, if you, if you want to develop a goal, I mean, you should just want to be all in, but all in, in the most healthy way possible. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. So on that note, that brings us to the end of our 16 items, um, which are all personal finance myths. Well, not all. We kind of debunk some. Some are are maybe, some are um, true, uh, and some are actually myths as they stand. If there's any other personal finance myths that you have heard that you kind of cringe at because you know they're not true, or if there's any other things that you've heard and you're wondering, is this actually a myth or not? Send them to us. We'd love to kind of bring them up on an an upcoming, if we do another, if we revisit personal finance myths, which we probably will. It's, it's been a great episode. So send this to us. You can always do that through our website at livelifesimple.ca or send us an email at livelifesimple.ca. 365 at gmail.com. Both those links will be in the show notes. Trevor, before we end the show today on personal finance myths, do you have any final thoughts or takeaways for our listeners? Yeah, I would say beware of myths. If you believe in a myth, you become a, a powerless victim to the myth. I like that. And on that note, that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we will be taking a week off with the, the Easter uh, long weekend coming up. So we'll see you not next week, but the week after with a brand new show. We're wishing you a wonderful week. And until, until the week after next week, live life simple.